0: Welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Duffel Network. We dive deep into Wabo's most diabolical work. Five years on, coming up next is Elliot DeBold, and
1: that was Reuben Morehouse.
0: And we pick up with five point two with Blake. Uh, yeah, getting undressed and being put in jail. Um, do not collect two hundred dollars. Do not pass <laughs> go. Um,
1: yeah, and he loses his special boots that he got from the lawyers. Uh, And he seems pretty attached to them. Like, you know, this is something he actually gets a bit hung up on. And I wonder, it doesn't seem like he actually likes the boots. It's just because the lawyers gave it to him and it's like, well, you know, he had to pay a price to get that from the lawyers. So it's almost like a a sunken cost type thing going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He definitely doesn't want to be paying prices to those lawyers and not even, you know, keeping
1: the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, if if he just bought the boots, I don't feel like he would have cared that much
0: yeah yeah definitely. um so you know the first thing he does when he gets thrown in jail into a cell is picking at a scab and using the blood from
1: this scab to do a little bit of blood magic um resourceful yeah he he's he's been out of glamour for what five minutes and he's he's already back to blood yeah <laughs> yeah yep.
0: uh, you know what could go wrong? Yeah, his good old fallbacks. Yeah, and we see what goes wrong, I suppose, later on this chapter. Yeah. We see how reliant Blake has become on blood. Um, So, you know, Evan's here, obviously, uh, which we found out at the end of the last chapter, but he seems to have kind of regressed much more to, like, Dune-style ghost, where he's, uh, you know, reciting things a lot more.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's sort of like, because he's being autopsied, uh as well Um, which presumably i think blake theorizes is not helping his i don't know whole wholeness Um, wholeness yeah uh, humanity
0: maybe yeah Um, it's interesting i wonder how many ghosts like how easy is it to become a ghost in pact right because you know evan was a bit of a special case where the hyena basically scared off whatever was meant to take him to the afterlife but You know, June didn't really have, as far as we know, any special circumstances around her death. She just froze to death, right? Which is not, I mean, you know, it's not a nice way to die, but it's not a particularly out there death. Um, So, yeah, ghosts can't be that uncommon. And a bunch of ghosts must get autopsied, which must be so strange.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends. Uh, I I don't know if all ghosts are as attached to their body as Evan Evan is. Mm. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, certainly some of the ones that are stronger and seem a bit more, you know, a bit more like Evan, where they're a bit more conscious, uh, Mm. may have experienced themselves getting autopsies, which would have been uh, harrowing, I imagine.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine it's a a comfortable sensation. No, (laughs) no. Um, so Blake and Evan are kind of chit chatting. Blake is kind of filling in Evan more. They really do pick up the conversation right from where they left off uh back in the woods where Blake's kind of filling in Evan more about what it would be like if Evan was as familiar and kind of you know running him through basically how it would work
1: oh yeah, but there's also a lot of focus on like what the hell they do now um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh like but there's there's definitely there's this there's this sense throughout the whole conversation that. Blake is just constantly making sure Evan doesn't feel or Evan's not there out of a sense of obligation. Like yeah. it's like just constantly hammering home. You can go if you want to. And it's, you know, it's, it's nice. It's very heroic. Yeah, almost.
0: It is. Um, there's a really nice moment between them when, when Blake kind of tells Evan and is kind of speaking to himself here and recognizes that, uh, <laughs> tells Evan that he's not to blame for what happened to him. And it's this real, like
1: emotional moment
0: of growth and vulnerability for Blake. It's like, oh, look, Evan's already kind of helping him out.
1: <laughs> yeah, just trying to help someone with similar issues has forced him to voice a thought he hasn't really allowed himself to voice for years, and that's that's going to be significant.
0: Isn't it funny? <laughs> this companion, not Rose, is the one that helps him reflect. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> um, also worth noting is, you know, I think you're right that they do have some similar issues, but Evan is like... A child and Blake is like twenty. uh, I don't know. He maybe he should be able to kind of process some of th- his things a little better without having to see them also being the issues that a child is facing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that. But it's it's funny how people work like that. Like you, you may not necessarily yeah, right. confront yeah. or even realize something that's going on with you, and then you see it in someone else, and you're sort of like, mm. oh, that I do that too. And I, I think that's sort of what happen- is happening here. Is Blake is. You know, as he says, he's he's been thinking this, but he's never really been able to bring himself to say it to himself, mm. and saying it to Evan kind of forces him to do that as well.
0: Yeah, you're right. It, it is a very human trait of kind of needing to see your flaws somewhere else before you can recognize them in yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um. So Evan kind of agrees to, to help Blake, and uh, Blake comes up with an ingenious little plan.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is... Go look for stuff, I guess, and and come back and report. Um, yeah, while I sit here and of these take weird a nap. Spirits. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: wow. Blake really takes advantage of his helpers. Get them to do all the hard work while he takes a nap.
1: Yeah. In, in 10 chapters, Evan's going to be just as bitter as Rose while Blake just sits around taking naps.
0: <laughs> yeah, taking naps and getting his ghosts to do his work for
1: him. I mean, you know, we're, we're making fun, but. I don't know what else. Like, I can't come up with a better plan. I could probably sit here for hours and think, and that's that's as good as I'd come up with. So, yeah, I, I don't really um, know why we're making fun of him, I guess. It's, it's, it's about as good uh, as you're going to you know. get. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, a really fun beat throughout this conversation is, uh, since Evan is kind of a bit more ghost and a bit less, I don't know, uh, sentient. Um, he, mm. he he's participating in this conversation by kind of replaying segments of things that he said before he died that are semi-relevant, and Blake kind of has to interpret what he's trying to say. It's this vibe that like reminds me of um, uh, a bumblebee in the Transformers movies who would speak by like tuning into things with his radio and getting these disjointed little audio clips. It's like a really fun, just a fun little beat that kind of you know keeps the conversation fresh. <laughs> yeah it's it's it makes it more confusing but more entertaining
1: yeah i really like that comparison to to bumblebee that's actually a really good fit uh and it, it's yeah you're right it's just sort of it makes the whole conversation a bit unique and you just have to think about it a bit more it's just a nice bit of variety that uh that we have thrown in It's 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 cool
0: yeah, so they, they enact their genius plan, Evan goes off to kind of get help, and, and Blake kind of goes back to thinking, you know, I need something else other than other than uh, just Evan, you know, if only I had someone else here to help me, oh well, uh, instead he kind of calls out to, to the Knights of the Basement, kind of using that old trick that <laughs> fell told him was very rude, uh, but you know, Blake does it anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and this would be, what, the third time he's done this mm. to the Knights of the Basement? Uh mm-hmm. second or third. Uh it's really starting to probably push the boundaries of that friendship. I don't know, we we haven't really ever seen them come to pick him up, but I, I wonder if they've actually had the conversation where the knights of the basement are like, dude, that's a Stop real big pain that. in the ass, can you not? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um Blake gets a little bit of his own medicine here. Uh he, he he's kind of in bed when suddenly for a moment I felt alarm surge through me. The same momentary panic that came with a sudden sense of falling, lying in bed. Was it being manipulated, enchanted? This kind of jumped out at me, but I didn't kind of realize what it was until my second read through, which is, you know, this is somebody calling out to him, right? This is his reality being tugged at. Um, I like that he gets a bit of his own medicine here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. The first time I was like, oh, that's weird. And, and then I sort of kept going the second time. Uh, I think your conclusion makes the most sense. It, it must be, this must be what you experienced, which... You know, it sounds really disorienting, and I can see why people wouldn't like it.
0: Yeah, it sounds horrible. I hate that (laughs) feeling.
1: Uh, And so having that feeling happen to you multiple times would be very
0: annoying. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so this kind of wakes up Blake from his nap, and uh, the knights are are outside the police station. He kind of sees them. They, They call out to him. I mean, you know, they call out to him with their with his name and he calls back to them with their names um and and Blake sends Evan to kind of guide them into the station and just kind of gets back to thinking about how screwed he is
1: yeah he's just sort of listing off everything that's wrong and everything he has to do and I like this line because he says I feel good a little too good it's like the one (laughs) the one thing he has going for him is that he feels quite good but that's tinged with this knowledge that that's at Rose's expense. So he can't even have good things. Uh it's everything is terrible, uh, for Blake right now.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah,
1: a little too good is I
0: you're right. I kinda just interpreted it as um oh, you know, I can't let myself get caught up feeling good because I've got stuff to do, but you're you're right that he might be thinking and probably should be thinking, I feel good because I'm draining
1: Rose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I hadn't considered that Blake wouldn't consider that that's what it was but uh, maybe maybe he
0: didn't yeah when have you known blake to ever (laughs) think immediately think things like that without rose's help
1: yeah that's a good point Um,
0: so blake kind of estimates there's about 16 hours left until his timeline is up until he's you know until he has failed to to capture the uh the the obscure demon the abstract demon um
1: if only there was a way that he could get more time
0: well, we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, D- Duncan comes back and tells Blake, hey, there's a witness who's come forward to corroborate your story. And Blake is thrown in, into a, the interview room again and uh, asked questions to kind of corroborate what the witness is saying.
1: Yeah, and there's a little fun thing, because it seems like whoever this witness was uh, lied to the police. And and so it's exactly what uh, I think it was Sam, which uh, the user talked about in our discussion mm. question, which is, Presumably, the knights sent one of their muggles to, to to go in and and take advantage of the fact that they could lie.
0: Yeah, was it? It might have been the knight who said to Blake, "Hey, it's useful to have someone who isn't a practitioner in your group, so that you know they can
1: lie for you." Mm. And, and it's great because it gives Blake this thing. Like, presumably, if Duncan hadn't been interrupting the flow, he you could phrase it like he could. Blake could be like, "Well, I bet you the witness told you this, and just repeat what Evan says." And then it's like, you know, because that would come across as technically yeah. true, but also yeah. him spouting that would make it sound like <laughs> yeah, the truth. Yeah.
0: I don't think Duncan's going to let him play those word games, though. Um He's, mm. he's, he's getting questioned about all the stuff, you know, and he's, Blake gives all the right answers. I mean, yeah. So Evan is, Evan is you know, was in the interview with the, the witness and is there just kind of spouting the <laughs> answers to Blake. It's so perfect. Um, it's such a neat way to get around what is quite a clever trick in the mundane world, but it doesn't work in the practitioner world. Um, yeah. And Duncan is clearly, like, thrown off by this and not really able to do anything about it.
1: Yeah, he does He does get some salt out uh, to try and <laughs> toss at Evan uh, to dismiss him, which yeah. I, I really liked because... well So Evan sort of gets out before he Duncan can do that. Yeah. If he hadn't, like, I just wonder what Duncan's excuse would have been for just throwing salt <laughs> oh, around the I room. dropped my fries yeah. and I thought oh. I'd salt them before I picked them back up. He'd be like one of those people from, uh, you know, those black and white commercials where he's just trivial. <laughs> yeah, does this happen to you?
0: Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there must be a better way. Uh anyway, so Duncan uh is getting upset about this and and kind of tries to back him into a corner. Uh and and Blake <laughs> Blake kind of pushes back at him and sees the connections indicating the tricks that Duncan has pulled to kind of get around the fact that he has a connection to Laird and there's this whole conspiracy thing going on potentially. Mm-hmm. Um Duncan has got himself back into the interrogation room, and Blake can see these like gilded connections
1: in order to do so, yeah, so Duncan's magic uh all these various connections, and mm-hmm. I like how this sort of manifests like the first time Blake brings up Laird the lawyer and and the other cop it just kind of act as if he hasn't really said anything, yeah, like uh, it's just this
0: Duncan kind of reacts to their non reaction kind of being very smug at Blake. <laughs>
1: uh well yeah i i mean smug smug seems to be his middle name basically <laughs> yeah um
0: yeah he's it's it's so fun watching I don't know like it's he's so fun to hate because um yeah i was i was I was talking about this in in the comment thread on the previous chapter, but Laird is a fun villain because he's like he knows what he's doing. And he's he's fucking over Blake, yes, but he he has reasons for it. But Duncan kind of comes across as being just as smug and as much of a shitbird as as Laird, but not have just doing it because someone else told him to do it. <laughs> he's such a he's such a jerk, and he completely underestimates Blake here, and totally gets like screwed over because of it. It's so fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. He he has all the smugness of Laird, but uh, for some None reason he doesn't have the. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have, like, the grandiose stuff to back it up. He just comes across as a bit more of an arrogant little shit. (sighs) Definitely an arrogant
0: little shit. Um, (laughs) And Blake kind of blusters his way around, kind of continually referencing the fact that Duncan is related to Laird, there's this conspiracy, what's going on? And uh, eventually this kind of shatters the the gilded connections that Duncan has made. And uh, Duncan gets pulled out of the investigation room again. And, um, yeah. You know the captain tries to keep Blake in custody, but eventually admits that he has to let him go. And there you go, charges dropped. Blake wins. It's all. It's all done.
1: <laughs> I love the little theatrics. Like Blake has to do the thing where he slams the table on the third time. He's <laughs> he's taking advantage of all these rules he's learnt. And he's doing the third time's the charm, and he's he's doing what Miss Lewis taught him. And he's he's playing it up. And it's just these are such fun mechanics. Like that's yeah. so fun. Like watching someone have to be overly dramatic because in universe that's the best way to do it is just so much fun
0: yeah it's it's ridiculous and great that you know whatever blake does if he makes it a more compelling and dramatic literary experience that actually helps out his case more which is yeah a it, wild a wild conceit but it's one that makes Pact so much fun absolutely yeah so yeah blake's free to go and he heads out and he goes home and everything's good and he's happy
1: <laughs> uh- <laughs> I like this bit as he's sort of being let out um you know to go home and be happy uh he he <laughs> he has this sort he's like it all can't, it all came down to time and <laughs> I, on my first read through that just jumped out to me, and I was like you you you're dealing with the Bahams, that's not a good thing yeah. time time's not an asset when you're dealing with the Bahams, it's what makes them perfect adversaries for right now, I think or Dun- Duncan in particular as a kind of Baham that's presumably surmountable,
0: yes. And, you know, it does all come down to time, because when Blake gets out of the interrogation room, Duncan's there. He's um spray-painted symbols onto the wall of the police station and kind of activates this symbol, uh, which means Blake wakes up after passing out and the knights are outside the police station to help him. He sends Evan to guide them and gets back to
1: thinking just how screwed he is. <laughs> yeah, it's a real uh, window of opportunity situation. <laughs> but, yeah, so before we go forward too much... I think it's interesting. So Duncan specifically says Blake's name, mm. and then uh, like that's that's like the one thing Blake understands from this spell. And then Blake remembers that he's in the loop. Mm. So I have to imagine there's some karma or or, or power related reason why Duncan brought Blake. Because it, it, tactically, it would make so much more sense to leave Blake unaware that this is the second go. Because Duncan mm. would have all sorts of advantages. Whereas Blake, like the only reason Blake even makes it out of the cell this time is because he's aware that it's the second go. So it's an interesting, like I, I assume we'll get more details on it later, but it must be related to powering the spell or not getting absolutely hor- horrific karma. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. There, we'll see how we go. I suppose. Um. <laughs> I do love this part though, because you know, Duncan has been this smug jerk the whole time. And this is the first time where you, he really feels like a villain. Like, He's clearly, he feels so like unhinged, right? You you can picture the scene in your head. Everyone in the station is kind of baffled at him seeming to lose it, and he's just kind of is staring Blake down, and then you know touches his hand to the to the sigils, and and off goes this this crazy trap. It's like, yeah, it's a really it really kind of turns him from oh just a jerk that Blake's gonna easily overcome to oh shit, this is an actual villain here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it's sort of, it's a bit where he, um, you know, his mask comes off, and, and his gloves, really, like, he goes just sort of all out, and it's and it's so public, and he kind of gets away with it, because he's doing a time reversal spell, so there's not really any permanent uh, effects, but you're right, it does give you this sense of just him sort of going to the next level, and, or taking things to the next level, and just really, yeah, becoming a bit more of an antagonist, rather than just a, um, you know dickhead who's working against blake (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um so blake
0: wakes up again back in the morning when he woke up from his nap only this time duncan knows all of his tricks and is going to uh to intercept the knights and stop the witness and and cut off all of the tricks that he pulled
1: yeah but blake knows that duncan knows Mm, but then duncan mm. knows that blake knows that duncan knows uh, so good point so maybe duncan's in <laughs> uh-huh.
0: yeah. oh no but duncan knows that blake knows that duncan knows that blake knows
1: yeah know. a bit of a bit of competitive groundhog daying is a really fun <laughs> yeah. uh idea i like it yeah
0: yeah it, yeah man I, I love time manipulation shenanigans right like the Bahamas are such, they're such pieces of shit. They're so like <laughs> smug and human, and they, of course they they manipulate time. Like it's awesome.
1: As you said before, they're villains that you just love to hate.
0: Yeah. So Blake kind of makes a, a little bit of leap of logic here, where he he surmises that Duncan is saving all of his best tricks for go around three, because as everyone knows, you know it's a three beat. The third, third the, time's the, the third
1: victory is the best,
0: and so Blake kind of sets up to win on the third loop
1: no so you mean blake blake sets up to win this loop because he's right uh, sorry yes yeah, he, blake
0: sets up to win the second loop so that duncan doesn't get a chance to win the third loop the more yeah, powerful
1: loop well yeah because he's basically assuming that duncan has kept cards up his sleeve and blake knows he doesn't have cards up his sleeve so <laughs> uh he he needs to win as soon as possible
0: yeah. He he needs to you know, if Duncan's not gonna use his tricks, or well, maybe that means I have an opportunity to use all my tricks here. Um Yeah. And so, you know, Blake is back to needing help. And of course, all the all of his other best friends from throughout the story are, uh, aren't available. You know, the boy that he's known for twelve hours, and, and the convenience store family he's known for thirteen hours. So he'll have to find some other, I don't know. He'll have to find some other ally that he he could count on. Uh, and I guess that means Rose.
1: <laughs> yeah. He he eventually got there. Um. But what it takes to get Rose back here kind of justifies <laughs> why he hasn't yeah. tried yet. Um. It's, it's pretty rough.
0: Yes. He, uh, Blake kind of realizes that he's been draining Rose for a long time and he's going to have to put all that energy back in. So he starts, uh, fondling a toilet or having a toilet <laughs> fondle him and uses it to draw blood and basically bleeds himself out using the power from the blood to feed
1: Rose. But he doesn't just like give himself little pricks. Like he No he cuts both of his arms right up. Like I I got the impression this is going from like wrist to elbow. Yeah. Like he's he must be bleeding profusely. <laughs> he's such a fucking maniac. Um uh, like what I-, I could never see myself doing this. This is why I'd be dead impact. I don't think I could ever take things this far.
0: Well, you know, I mean <laughs> we don't know if Blake's gonna die from this yet either. Oh, <laughs> like true. he really does bleed himself out. Um, in fact he bleeds himself so much that he 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 bleeds out his Blakeness. He he loses core parts of who Blake is, um, seemingly. I who knows what mm. that means, but we'll find out next chapter, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I I can't wait. I, I agree. There's gonna be a cost to this that's probably more than just you know, the standard stuff that comes with losing blood, like dizziness and, and faintness, yeah. uh, which he experiences <laughs> in this chapter.
0: Yes. Um, and so, But it works. Rose is back and she hasn't missed too much. Only, you know, <laughs> two of the three trials and Blake has basically got a familiar. But, you know, he's back. She's back.
1: Yeah. I love how this sort of opens with, you know, she comes in and she's like, oh, wow, what's happening? Did the Sphinx? And, and he cuts her off there. But I, I just like, like instantly bring the Sphinx up just made me go, Oh, shit, yeah, Rose has been out for ages. <laughs> like, you know, the last yeah. time we saw her was when she broke that window at the Sphinxes, and I was just thinking about how much has happened since then and she clearly yeah. just has no idea and you're like, oh, man, she's so far behind. Yeah, um, <laughs>
0: she, she, Yeah, it's kind of wild. I mean, the Sphinx was <laughs> last arc on paper, but that arc was long and a lot of shit happened.
1: Um, yeah, so much has been recontextualized for us in, in those 10-ish chapters since she disappeared. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, um, so yeah, Blake kind of ends this chapter, he's gone all in on round number two. He's he's bled himself out so much that if it comes to a third round, <laughs> he's, he's pretty fucked. Um, so we'll see how it pays off.
1: Yeah, and this chapter sort of ends on Blake introducing Rose and Evan, which was this nice little moment where he's just like, uh, Rose, Evan, Evan, Rose, uh, you yeah. two are pretty much going to have to take the wheel here, I'm fucked. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) I'm off to my nap. You ghost sandal. Classic Blake. Yeah. Um, And that brings us to the end of uh, Conviction 5.2. A fun chapter where we see Blake really going all in, uh, really paying high price.
1: He committed. Yeah. um,
0: Now, we wanted to, to, uh, for a little bonus uh, bit this episode, we wanted to bring up another discussion question that kind of came up through discussion when we were talking about this chapter, chapter 5.2, talking about Duncan and him as a police officer, and, you know, is he, whether he sees himself doing the right thing or not, or kind of, is he doing the right thing or not?
1: Um, Yeah, well, I think think we should separate the discussion question from Duncan, because I I think if we yeah. ask in terms of Duncan, we're going to get at least 99% uh, responses that say it, it's terrible uh, to do what Duncan Well, because he's
0: a smug jerk, you know, yeah. it's hard to
1: separate the, the uh, yeah. But but looking, looking at it from a sort of more abstract level, or I, I guess the, the discussion question we're going to ask is, uh, if a practitioner has vowed to serve a system, is it okay for them to break the rules of that system to help deal with magical entities that, the rules of that system don't account for. Mm. Uh, so, in a more, like, you know, to take this example, but take the people out of it, if you're a police officer slash practitioner and there's a diabolist fucking with stuff, is it okay he, for you, you know, to... know, isn't
0: just misunderstood, who is yeah, yeah. <laughs> actively yeah. fucking the shit.
1: If it, was, if it was one of these bad diabolists uh, we hear so much about, um, would that, would it be okay for Duncan to bend the rules of a normal mm. police officer's duty to take care of the diabolist who's presumably skirting the rules because they have access to magic
0: yeah and and i think if we take this question to the extreme it's easy to think like okay so what duncan can plant evidence sure then the diabolist has an increased chance of going to jail he can what convince a jury make the diabolist definitely go to jail but then you know it's a diabolist um a, a muggle jail isn't that helpful is it okay for him to execute them? Is is can can anonymous policeman number one be judge during an executioner? Like
1: yeah, well yeah. Um, I, I'm interested to hear. I guess w- what we're sort of asking is where people think the line is. Uh, mm. in in you know, where is it sort of okay to to do this stuff? And and I mean, I I don't think people should limit themselves to police in this situation either. Like, what if it was a politician? You know, can mm. a politician? Uh, do things to take care of magical stuff that maybe is outside what they should normally be doing, or you know, wh- mm. wh- whatever whatever your profession of choice is. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm interested to hear a situation where it comes under a politician's purview to to engage in <laughs> diabolism, like some possessed guy is running against him and he needs to <laughs> get votes. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um. That actually maybe explains a lot of Australia's contemporary politics. Let's not get too into that. (laughs) Uh, And that's the end of our episode. (laughs) That's the end of our episode today. Um, We hope you enjoyed uh, discussing 5.2 as much as we did. Um, If you have other thoughts uh, on this chapter or answers to our discussion question where you draw the line that's different to us, uh, probably. (laughs) <laughs> it's always how it seems to go i always think oh it's definitely this and then we get all these compelling answers that are like well actually it's this and i totally changed my mind <laughs> yeah, yeah these, um,
1: these sorts of discussion questions really broaden uh broaden my understanding of topics because people come at it from such unique perspectives yeah. i really like it yeah
0: it's always very fun um if you have those unique perspectives and you probably do because you know you're a unique person unique enough Leave your answers to that discussion question in our discussion thread, which will be linked in the uh, episode description.
1: Yes. uh, And if you want to get up to date on all the other great shows on the Doof Network, you can head to doofmedia.com, where you can Ah. find all the details on everything Doof.
0: Newly on the doofmedia.com website is a calendar that tells you when all kinds of cool shows are coming out. And I can look at that calendar to tell you that right around the (laughs) same time this episode's coming out. Uh, will be, uh, the episode, the Doofcast episode about Undertale will also be coming out, um, which I would thoroughly recommend that you all listen to because Undertale is such a fascinating game, you know, like it's rare that we, we run a media discussion show as well. Right. And we intentionally try and steer away from games, but sometimes there are these games that just kind of transcend artistic barriers and Undertale is one of them. It's definitely something you should check out if you haven't done so already.
1: Yeah, I've actually just finished the game uh, for the first time. I, I'd never played it before, and I I just finished it in preparation for listening to this episode, and I'm, I'm very excited yeah. to hear uh, Scott and Matt's thoughts on it because uh, I, yeah. I, I agree. I loved it. It was, it was fantastic.
0: It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Anyway, um, no spoilers, but, uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> check it out. Um, <laughs> uh, for other news on the Doof Media site uh, on Doof Media shows and all kinds of cool Doof Media things, perks, benefits that you can get, you should check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash you can become a patron and, uh, yeah, really get involved with the community and, and give back to shows that you hopefully enjoy.
1: Yes, and, uh, speaking of Patreon, uh, also has a Patreon, and, you know, as we've said before, this is, this is what he does for his job, so try and throw some his way as well
0: especially on this time of year. Uh, I think yesterday or 2 days ago when this episode comes out, it's uh it's actually Wildbo's birthday. So if you are thankful yeah. for the stuff that he's creating, you can um go to the Patreon and throw him some money, pledge or uh, up up your donation. I'm sure he would uh, greatly appreciate that birthday gift.
1: Oh, I, I didn't know that. Happy birthday, Wildbo. Happy birthday, Wildbo.
0: Um that's us for this episode. Uh, our next episode, talking about Conviction 5.3, will be coming out on Monday, the 15th of April. So we'll uh, see you all then.
1: See ya.